Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 20 to 22 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 to 22. I'd like you to put your eyes on verse 17 and let me read that before I begin today. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you this morning that you would just take me And the Spirit of God would take hold of me to speak to your people, your very word. Help us to hold your word up in high regard, higher than anything else, and take it seriously. And then, Lord, let us not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it every day of our lives. And, Lord, especially in these verses, let us be people who live by faith. And there's plenty evidence to prove that we do so. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In the honor roll of faith, I have been given giving you a picture of God's great dead. We have seen God's faithful believing, putting their faith into action, displaying to us what faith is and then what faith does biblical faith is living and full of works just as james tells us in his epistle for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead there is a point i would like to highlight from abraham before i go on further Because he's the great central figure of faith. And not so much the faith that saves, but a faith that believes God all the way. A faith that believes God right to the end. In fact, in our scripture we read, faith in the resurrection, believing that out of a dead body and womb, God could and would bring to life that which is dead, that God is the great quickener. In the case of his only son, Isaac, God is able to raise people even from the dead, that if Isaac died when he was going to offer him up, God would raise Isaac from the dead. Not only raise Isaac, but is able to raise the dead. So God's power to raise the dead upheld Abraham's faith and everybody else's faith after him 
That is our great hope, the resurrection of the dead. There is something that Jesus said in the Gospel of John that gives us a peek into what Abraham saw when by faith offered up his only son Isaac and then God intervened. If you care to turn there, John chapter 8, verse 56. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. For it says this in verse 56 of John 8, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Meaning that when Abraham was offering up Isaac, he was seeing Christ. What did he see? He saw Jehovah who spared not his own son. A second thing he saw He saw in the ram slaughtered instead of Isaac a representation of the great substitute who died that men might live Christ Jesus. In fact, look at the rest of the passage if you're there in John chapter 8, verse 57. It says, So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus here directly claims to be the eternal God. Can't get around that one, brethren. In fact, what would the response be if Jesus was claiming to be God? Well, if you look in verse 59, it says, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Throw him... Throw at him for what reason? To kill him. To stone him to death. Why? They thought he committed blasphemy. That he was claiming, a man claiming to be God. But there's a third thing that Abraham saw that day. And I mentioned it last week from the Old Testament passage of Scripture and from Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham saw God's name more fully revealed that day. Because on that day, Abraham understood that God was Jehovah Jireh. The God who sees, who will see, and the God who will provide. See, this was a step in advance to anything else he had known before. But this is the great significance of faith. In fact, when you live by faith, God gives you more of him. When you live by faith, God gives you more understanding of Himself. This is important to know because only a life lived by faith is the person who shall be better instructed in the things of God and the nature and character of God. If you do not live by faith, you will not know any more of God than you know now. It is the walk of faith that begins to open up the curtain of who God is more and more. You think God's going to give you to all at once? No, he's not. Doubt is the great enemy of faith. If you have lingering doubts in your mind about the existence of God or the resurrection of your body because Christ is the first fruits, if you have any doubts there, you'll not, any, you'll not know any more than that. But... If you live by faith, 
you'll go right to the end of your last breath knowing way more of God and wanting to be in his very presence because of what you've been knowing all those years. So as we consider the faith of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the thought that the faith that believes God all the way becomes an important one to remember because it has a reach beyond death to the eternal. See, there's a common thread that runs through the faith of these three men that we're going to cover in these verses. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And this is the common thread that it makes mention of their faith at the end of their life. This is the people who finish. After they had gone through all the sufferings, all the adversities, all the confusion of life, all the testings of their faith, and had endured right up until the end. You know, you would think, you know, when, when you live a life of faith and you come right up to the end of your life, how did their faith fare? Was it non-existent? Was it laden with anger and bitterness? As I have seen so many people standing at their bedsides dying, they were filled with bitterness and anger and regret. Was it tainted with hopelessness and despair and depression? As so many people are tainted with at the end of their life. Not at all. For them, faith was a victorious adventure. Faith was the proving of the unseen. Faith is the way whereby people find out whether there be God, whether there be a spiritual world, whether there are forces other than what we can see. Now please turn with me to Genesis chapter 27 for a minute because I want to show you Isaac Jacob and Joseph, that when we get to the Hebrews passage, that this is exactly what's going on here. We're talking about three men, this is what ties them together, that are at the end of their life. What do they do? How do they act? What do they say? Maybe we can be just like these people at the end of our life. That's the point. The point is to be like them. To do what they do. To end the way they end. Well, Genesis chapter 27, verse number 2. Here's Isaac. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. See, he was very near death in that passage of Scripture. Well, that's where Hebrews picks it up. Then look over to chapter 47 of Genesis. In verse 28 and 29, Jacob. Remember Abraham, Isaac, his son, Jacob? Verse 28, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. And look at verse 29, when the time for Israel to die drew near, Jacob again came to the point where he was dying. That's where Hebrews picks it up. 
And then look at chapter 50. Joseph, verse number 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. And then in verse 26, so Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. So, all of these men, Hebrews picks up at the end of their journey, at the end of the adventure of faith. It was Shakespeare who retorted, how oft, when they were at the point of death, have men been merry? Others have made mention of death in this way. It was Jean de La Fontaine who said this, death never takes the wise man by surprise. He is always ready to go. And Leonardo da Vinci said, while I thought I was learning how to live, I have been learning how to die. He also says, as a well-spent day brings happy sleep, so a life well used brings a happy death. So usually people, they die with regret, with bitterness, with hopelessness. But you don't find that with these men. There's nothing that even comes close to those things. And so, let me remind you that biblical faith lays hold of what is promised and therefore hoped for as something real and solid, though yet as unseen. You see that biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It is immersed in the nature and the character of God. It is immersed in objective truth, in historical reality. That the people of God actually lived and died by faith. They did not shrink back to destruction, but knew that they were in a long line of those who had finished, who had run the race successfully and had gone on to heaven ahead of them. And they were looking forward to the same things. So, what Hebrews calls people to is a great adventure of faith. It calls people to prove the declarations of the unseen by stepping out in obedience in order to discover whether they are true or not. It's amazing. Already in Hebrews, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and a rewarder of those who seek Him. See, God is is opening up the door to a moving vessel, to someone seeking Him and moving towards Him, who wants more. When Jesus was being criticized as to where His authority and learning came from, from those who were asking Him, He said this, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching or the doctrine, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. In other words, Jesus says, do the thing I tell you, and in doing it, find out whether it is true or not. 
That's why calling someone to salvation is a call to obedience. It's, not, it's really not a call for you to make a decision. And, and it's in your place. It's a call for you to come when God commands you to come. When the gospel goes out, it's a command to come and then see if God's good. When you come, and you know what? I haven't met one Christian yet who has come to Christ who says God's not good and somehow they want to turn back and go back the way they came from. They don't want to go back that way. They want to go forward. See, why? Because they realize once they take the adventure of faith, once they step out in obedience, that what God says is true and who God said He is, He is. And they, they know that. And they know it by faith. They know it by faith. See, the Lord doesn't tell His people, you must, you must believe intellectually. You must be convinced intellectually alone before you can be my disciple. He doesn't say that. He, by no means. Instead, he says what? Follow me. He says, obey me. And see for yourself whether what I say is true. What do you think? The Lord's going to give it all out to you? He's not. That's why we need faith. But when we live by faith, we discover it's true. It is true. Would the new world ever have been discovered if there had not been one man fanatical enough to sail and to sail until he found it? Oh, but somebody says it was there. If it were not there, he could only prove it by the same action. Sail and sail and sail and say it's not there. But he found it. It was there. Unseen things. Oh, some people say they are not there. How do you know? You cannot deny it until you have made the great adventure to discover it yourself. I am, what I'm saying is that the testimony of the centuries, of those who lived by faith, is the person who follows the Lord and does make the adventure always discovers the unseen, th- unseen things to be seen by faith. When there's a failure to believe, when there's unbelief, hope dies. The fight ends and the work is abandoned. That's why Jesus already said, Setting up, the writer of Hebrews already said, setting up this whole chapter in verse number one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, that the things hoped for are always future. And the things not seen are not future, they're present. They're while we're here. They're while we're living by faith. So they build us up to see that it's true, so the future becomes such a reality Nobody can convince us that what God says is not going to happen. That's what goes on when we live by faith. So why did these people in Hebrews 11 make it to the end of their earthly life with, with a stronger faith than when they started? Well, they kept discovering God is faithful and true. What? 
they kept discovering God is faithful and true. Their understanding of death was also clear because they knew God was in control there also. In each case, death was never a hindrance to their faith. It seemed to be just the blip on the radar screen, just a hiccup in the ebb and flow of life. That biblical faith removes the usual hopelessness and despair that surrounds death and defeats it. So then, biblical faith is a faith to live by, and it is a faith to die by. In the end, it lays hold of eternal life. It is the kind of faith faith which is necessary to endure. It is faith that leads to the well-pleasing walk with God, and that should be the goal of every single Christian. Unbelievers cannot please God. There is nothing, nothing they can do to win God's smile of approval. Apart from Jesus Christ and His redeeming sacrifice, they are utterly unable to do anything that pleases God. But we're talking about believers here. And so please, please, ponder with me three characteristics of these the the faith of these men. And here's the first one. Biblical faith passes the baton of blessing coupled with a future hope. In verse number 20, notice what it says, Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. So, Isaac was the son of Abraham, he was the son of promise who, le- who led a life of faith. As the promise was given to him, he in turn would pass on the promise to whom it belonged. You say, what promise? Well, the covenant promise given to God, by God, to Abraham. And of course, a con- concise version is found in Genesis. And this is what it says in Genesis 26 without turning the- there. It says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So what happens here is that now Isaac grows old. He's at the end of his life here, and now it's time for him to bless his son Jacob. And to give him the hope of a future to come. To give him a hope of God can be trusted. To give him a hope that what God says will come to pass. And so he gives a blessing. These patriarchs, to these patriarchs, really, patriarchal blessings were partly prayers and they were partly prophetic predictions, actually. And... So what he does is, again, take your Bibles again and turn to Genesis chapter 27, because this is the blessing that he gives. And he kind of includes three things in the blessing, especially about what God's going to provide to them and do for them. 
And in verse 28 of Genesis 27, he says, Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. What's that? That's daily sustenance, right? Daily subsistence. What is he saying there? God meets your needs. He meets your needs on a daily basis. He meets your needs as to what you need in your life food, clothing, a place to live. God meets your needs. He says, he's met my needs. He will meet your needs. And then a second thing in verse 29, national recognition. It says, many people, may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. In other words, God provides the best way to live in worship other than as compared to any of the nations around you, God has the right way. And it should be seen in the people. It should be seen in how they worship God and how God responds to them and how God blesses them and how God does things for them that he does for no other nation. And how he gives them a sacrificial system where they can actually approach him, where his presence is in their midst, that the other nations would be jealous because of the way you live. That's part of the blessing. And then God also says in verse 29, I'll give you covenant security that God provides protection. Curse those who curse you and bless, blessed be those who bless you. There, there is the blessing that Isaac passes on to Jacob that he is saying, I ask God and I bless you that you would maintain the uniqueness you are as a nation before all the other nations. For what reason? For the salvation of the other nations. For the honor of God that we are different people. I mean, the old King James says we're peculiar people. There's something different about Christians. We have different goals and desires. God's changing us. We look at life differently. We have a worldview that has totally been transformed. We're not putting our stock in politics and in money and in wealth and in things. We once were, but we're letting go of those things because we're realizing they're only for now. They're only the needs God provides me to get me through on this adventure of faith till I get into the celestial city with Christ himself. So see, this is important because only a life lived by faith can know that God blesses his children. And if God blessed our spiritual ancestors, why should he not bless you and me the same way? Blessing meaning God accepts me. I know I'm accepted in the beloved because of Christ. That he helps me. He gives me his spirit. He gives me his word. He protects me. I'm, I and you are immortals till God's done with you, unless you want to live a foolish life then a fool has his own destiny. But for someone who lives for the Lord, you will live every single second God wants you to live until he's done. And if you're living a life of faith, you'll do everything God wants you to do that he ordained for you to do until you breathe your last. See, it's an adventure. That's where we're heading. That's where we're going. So God accepts me. He helps me. He protects me. And he remains faithful to me, and he gives me a future. 
I am looking forward to the resurrection of the body. I am looking forward to what Hebrews will say about the kingdom. An unshakable kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Cannot be removed. Cannot be attacked by another nation. It's unshakable because God rules there. I'm going there. I'm going there. That's the hope. That's part of the blessing that we have. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps you going, and it's all true. It's all true. Although the storms beat against us, they can never destroy our position before God in heaven because our souls are securely anchored in God's inner sanctuary. It already told us that in Hebrews. That through Jesus Christ, our high priest, a believer's hope is safe and secured, anchored in heaven. So, where's your anchor at? It's in heaven, man. And you know what happens with an anchor? With the ship, if the anchor is down and the wind's blowing, the ship just goes like this. It's not going anywhere. All right? You may get blowing around a little bit, but if your anchor's in heaven, you're not going anywhere. You're going to heaven. See, that's the point he's making to us. This is why faith is so exciting. It's such an adventure. Here's the second thing, though. That was Isaac, the promised one the ordinary one some call him but the second characteristic of the second man jacob the son of isaac is that biblical faith passes the baton and i'm using that analogy to pass the baton if you ever ran a race where you were part of a leg of a race where you had to run as fast as you can with all your strength and reach out until the next guy took the baton and he went and that you were a team running together to the goal. That's what the Christian faith is. That's what we are called to. We're called to that kind of race that we desire to pass the baton to the next generation faithfully, that we actually have something to pass them. Why? Because we have lived by faith and we know they're true. So see, biblical faith passes the baton of blessing coupled with the example of a lifestyle of continual worship. So there's a future, and now we see in Jacob, worship. Look what it says in verse 21, Hebrews 11. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped Leaning on the top of his staff. Now, if you are keen with your Bibles, you know that there are two things mentioned in this verse. Number one, that Jacob blessed each of his of Joseph's sons, and number two, that he worshipped as he leaned on his staff. But here is where the keen Bible study uh, student knows that in the Old Testament. They don't occur in that that order at all. In fact, in the Old Testament, the second is recorded before the first. The second is recorded before the first. And that's this, that he worshipped as he leaned on his staff. If you look with me at Genesis chapter 47, you'll see in verse number 31, and he said in verse 31, Swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. Now, 
That is the first thing that he actually did. And if you don't remember, God changed Jacob's name to what? Israel. So you'll find those names changed around in Scripture, but they're referring to the same person. And then in Genesis 48, 1 and 2, the first took place later. It says in Genesis 48, verse 1, Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel collected his strength and sat up in his bed. So, Hebrews highlights the account of the end of Jacob's life and what he did when he was dying. And what did he do? He did three things. The first thing he did, he was an act of faith. Jacob put Joseph in charge of his burial in the land of Canaan, not Egypt. Remember, when the drought came about, Joseph was already in power in Egypt. His father, Jacob, was in the land of Canaan, and the drought was so severe, they had to come and move to Egypt. And remember, in the passage, he stayed there in Egypt for 17 years, and Joseph took care of him. Now, Jacob said to Joseph, listen, when it comes to me dying, don't bury me here. Take me back to Canaan. Take me back to the land uh, Don't bury me in Egypt. So in Genesis 47, verse 29, it says this. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his sons Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he says, I will do as you have said. And so this is the answer he gave. So this was an act of faith about God's promise concerning his descendants, that God would always give them the promised land. There's a second act of faith right there in Genesis that Jacob did. He worshiped in verse 31 of Genesis 47. It says, he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. See, this shows at the end of his life that he was obedient and humble before God. He took that posture before God. He displayed this before the Lord every single day. So God was to him real, that God spoke to him and he spoke to God. He was a friend of God. He worshipped the one living and true God. At his death, he still walked with God and trusted Him and followed His voice as the shepherd, which shows up in His words and His deeds at the end of His life. So God was His wealth. God was His strength. God was His exceeding joy and happy children who have such a father as that. In fact, if you were right there in Genesis, look at chapter 48, verse 15 and 16, because we see the third act of faith. It says, Jacob blessed 
the sons of Joseph. Verse 16, 15. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Look what he says. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, my dying day. Verse 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. And may my name live on in them. And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. There was the promise that God gave. So we see here in the faith of Jacob at the end of his life that he continually worshipped God while he was living by faith. His relationship just kept growing and growing. That God was his shepherd and led him and fed him and took care of him and protected him all the way to the end. See, this is important. Because only a life lived by faith can adequately prepare for the end of life knowing that the mercies are all the sweeter, realizing they have always come from the hand of the great shepherd. You see, with God you are as sheep with a shepherd. Cared for, guided, guarded, fed, led. And your end will be peace without end. That's the promise God gives. And for the meantime, our desire would be because God has blessed you, because God has taught you, because God has expanded your faith and shown you great and mighty things, you will want to bless others. You will want others to see what you see. You will want others to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. God forbid that we should dam up the waters that will nourish future generations downstream. We don't ever want to do that. We always want to be giving out what God has given us. Biblical faith lives for God to pass down to their children the blessings that come from worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we have? We have a future hope. And as we grow in faith, we keep worshiping God. God becomes near to us, dearer to us than ever, and our desire is going to want to be with Him. That's the point. The relationship gets so close that you just want to go home. Well, look in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to go back to Genesis 2, so keep your hands there. And here's the third and last characteristic of these men at their last part of their life when they're dying. And it's this, that biblical faith passes the baton of blessing coupled with constant anticipation that all of the divine promises will be fulfilled. Look at verse 22, Hebrews 11. By faith, Joseph... When he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. What's that all about? How does Joseph encourage his brethren to remain faithful to the promises? Joseph becomes the exemplary person of faith in Scripture. Well, 
the first thing that happens, and take your Bibles again, turn to Genesis chapter 50. The first thing is that he reminds them that God is faithful and will take care of them. Look what it says in Genesis 50, verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, remember, the people were going to enter into 430 years of slavery. So, every time you see a prophetic message given in Scripture, God's always giving something to people that they really need. And they didn't know it yet. All right, Joseph, all right, he's coming to the end of his life, but they went on for a while there in Egypt. But there came a point where the Israelites multiplied so much that they became a threat to Egypt. So Egypt made them slaves. And that ended up being 430 years. So this is what Joseph says to them when he is dying. Listen, God will take care of you and he will take you from this land. And he will give you the promise by the oath that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob that what God says will come to pass. Keep your faith in him. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how severe the slavery gets, no matter how much the persecution gets, don't Give up. Keep worshiping God. Keep hoping for the future because it will come to pass. Secondly, he makes his brethren swear that they will not leave him in Egypt. And see, this is where his bone comes in. He always felt, Joseph always felt a sojourner in Egypt, even though he rose to second in command and probably had more authority than even uh, the man on top of him. But he knew it wasn't home. No matter what he had, how much God gave him, he knew it wasn't home. So Joseph had a strong desire not to miss the day God's people would enter the promised land. And so look what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 25 and 26. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. Verse 26, so Joseph died at the age of 110, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. You know, in, in a very real way, if there was any other place that Joseph died, he w- they wouldn't have been able to take really his body the way it was going to be all prepared in Egypt. Matter of fact, there probably was a place that they built for him, that they put him in, that they kept him in. And, you know, the Egyptians were big on that kind of stuff. So when it came time for the Israelites to leave, what did they do? They went and got his bones. You know why? He didn't want to stay there. He was dead already, but he wanted to give the people the hope. Listen, when you leave, take me out of here. This is not my home. I want to go with you, my people. That's where I want to go. And so he gave them that hope. After 430 years of bondage in Egypt, what did God do? He raised up Moses. Right? What did Moses do? 
He kept Joseph's request. It's recorded in Exodus 13, 19. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. And he did, but there was a problem. Moses could not enter the promised land. He was forbidden to do so. So Moses went to Mount Nebo, saw what God was going to do, and God, and so Joshua, who was given the mantle by Moses to take the people into the promised land, Joshua would take Joseph's bones and bury them. So that was an encouragement to the people. That, that's what he laid before them, so they would continue in their faith, that God would take care of his people, that God would keep his promise and make them a great nation. For it's recorded like this in Joshua 24. Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem. In the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. So these were all acts of faith at the end of their life, passing the baton to the next generation and saying, God is real. God's word is true. God's promises will come to pass. And it's going to be by faith that you hold to them. And someday our faith will turn to sight. See, this is important. Because only a life lived by faith lives with a growing anticipation that we will be completely delivered from these bodies of death. It's our turn. It's your turn to live on earth today. It's your turn to endure by faith. It's your turn to believe the unseen, to trust God's promises, to wait and hope expectantly, with great anticipation, that our great God and Savior will bring all He has promised to an ultimate fulfillment. So, see, my question is, how will you die? Well, how you live will have a great deal to do with the answer to that question. See, the first question is, how will you live? Then the next question is, how will you die? If you live by faith, you will die in faith. And I pray it will be a faith which death cannot weaken or destroy. And that it would be a faith in Christ that passes the baton to your children, coupled with a future hope, coupled with joyous worship, coupled with an anticipation and an expectation of the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And that we will pass from this little blip on the radar screen into the presence of God 
with no difficulty. God doesn't have a problem with death. You got that, right? He has no problem with raising you from the grave. It's all going to happen. See, so that's the message to us. Live right till your last breath with this kind of faith. And you're going to affect and infect your children and their, your grandchildren and the generation that you have something to do with. You're going to infect them and you're going to pass the baton to them as a runner stretching out with all your might so they get it and they continue on. That's what we're all, That's our life. That's what we're called to do. Will you do it? Will you be that kind of person? I believe that's what these three men are teaching us. That it's going to take that. In the life and in this world which we live, it's going to take that faith to endure till the end. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you once again for the awesomeness of your word for the design of Scripture. I thank you, Lord, for these three men. We know that I didn't go into the details of their life. But, Lord, they had hard lives. They had very difficult lives, much harder than any of us. And yet, Lord, they came out the end, hoping, worshiping, anticipating your great promises to them. I pray, Lord, we would be the same, made of the same stuff as our trust in Christ and his word, as the spirit of God indwells us. And every day and week we hear the word of God preached and taught, Lord, make us these kind of people. I pray the gold of the world would grow dim in the light of your wonderful face. Praise you, Lord, for what you'll do in our lives. For we know we cannot live this way but by your power and by your strength and by your spirit and by your word. Keep us faithful. In Christ I pray, amen. Let's stand together.